Hey everyone, you're listening to Learning in the Dark. Hey everyone, you're listening to Learning hey in the Dark. Hey everyone, you're, you're listening, listening to Learning to in the Dark. Hey everyone, you're listening to Learning in the Dark. Hey everyone, you're listening to Learning in the Dark. Hey everyone, you're listening to Learning in the Dark. Hey everyone, you're listening to Learning in the Dark. Hi, my name's Rebecca. And my name is James. And you're listening to Learning in the Dark. Hello, radiology residents, and welcome back to Learning in the Dark, the podcast aimed at making those dark on-call nights just a little brighter. My name's Rebecca. And my name's James, and we're your co-hosts. So this podcast targets those high-yield on-call pathologies that will prepare you for call, taking cases, and the boards. The game plan for today is to start with an approach. James will take us through a case like he would in rounds, letting us in on his approach and formatting through the classic four D's of radiology. Detect. Describe. Differential. And decision. The cases are available on our website, learninginthedark.com. Please follow along or just listen in as we embark on this fun radiologic journey. All right, James, what's our topic for today? Uh, our topic today is the uh, the sac that wreaks a lot of havoc, uh, acute cholecystitis in the gallbladder. All right, James, take it away. What is your approach to imaging of the gallbladder? Yeah, so when I'm looking at a case like a, a CT for a question of right upper quadrant pathology, um, the first thing is to detect the gallbladder. And so uh, what I first look for is the gallbladder on the undersurface of the liver uh, and the bile ducts themselves, which uh, are just sort of medial to it. Uh, and uh, then I, I go on to describe the gallbladder. And the first thing is uh, that I look for really is dilation of the gallbladder. So is it distended? Uh, does it look thick-walled on ultrasound, which some, sorry, on CT, which sometimes... Um, we underestimate or we're not too good at judging the thickness of the gallbladder on CT. Are there any stones that I can see in it on CT? Is there any fluid or haziness around the gallbladder? Does the wall of the gallbladder itself look intact? These are all things that are worth commenting on. Uh, and then the ducts themselves, are they dilated? Are there stones in the ducts or is there a mass nearby that could be uh, complicating things? Uh, and then I try and provide a differential diagnosis, which we'll get to later in this as to some um, common things that can mimic gallstone disease, and then a decision on what I think is is the most likely um, the most likely diagnosis. And sometimes for imaging right upper quadrant pain, we use CT and ultrasound as complementary modalities. So many of the patients uh, who get their CT overnight, they might go on to have an ultrasound done first thing in the next morning to help um, sort things out a bit better. Awesome. And overnight, are those like ultrasounds things that you're responsible for? Right. So it really depends on your institution, Rebecca. Um, here at uh, the UBC, it's the residents who are responsible perform for performing these ultrasounds overnight. A little bit of patient contact. I love it. Yeah. At uh, three in the morning, it's, uh, it's always fun. It is. It is always fun. All right, guys. So this leads us on to our first section in describing the pathology of the gallbladder. Learning objectives. Detect. 1. 
What is the epidemiology of gallstone disease? 2. What are the clinical signs and symptoms and progression of gallstone disease? 3. How is radiology utilized in the workup? All right, so the epidemiology of gallbladder pathology is actually really interesting. 25 million, million Americans are estimated to have cholelithiasis, meaning stones that are present anywhere in the biliary system. 80% of cholelithiasis will be composed of cholesterol, and actually 90 to 95% of cases of acute cholecystitis are secondary to these gallstones. A calculus cholecystitis comprises a whole other subset of cholecystitis and can be secondary to systemic infection, bile stasis, gallbladder ischemia, or cystic duct obstruction. The frustrating part is that 40% of patients that do present with cholecystitis will develop complications, so it really is important that we get a proper diagnosis and quickly. All right, Rebecca. So gallstone disease comes with a lot of fancy, long, and complicated either Greek or Latin words. So you'll hear (laughs) words like cholelithiasis, cholecystolithiasis, cholelithiasis thrown around. Basically, what these all refer to are stones present within different parts of the biliary systems, like you said. So cholecystolithiasis are stones within the gallbladder. Cholelithiasis are stones within the bile ducts themselves. And in practice, I just try and keep things really simple for referring clinicians. And I just say there's stones in the gallbladder or there's stones in the common bile duct because uh, that way it's just trying to remove any of any of this th- uh, sort of complicating language. That's awesome. <laughs> Uh, cholecystitis is gallbladder inflammation itself, um, which can be preceded by biliary colic, which are these um, pangs of pain that are classically described as being related to transient obstruction of the, the duct that drains the gallbladder, the cystic duct. And then lastly, another entity that you'll, you'll sometimes come across in terms of right upper quadrant pain is ascending cholangitis, which is when you have um, stasis, so stagnant bile for whatever reason, uh, which leads to then biliary sepsis, which can be life-threatening because the liver is right next door. Totally makes sense. And actually really, really helpful because it kind of leads us into how patients present. So those stones in places that they are not supposed to be um, can cause colicky abdominal pain. And if you've ever seen a patient in eMERGE, these patients are in quite a a significant amount of pain, and then sometimes it goes away. Um, But sometimes if it does persist, that means that the stone's probably stuck in one of these, this ductal system. Uh, Pain with deep palpation over the right upper quadrant is termed Murphy sign and can be exacerbated by an ultrasound probe, uh, and that's indicative of cholecystitis. Risk factors for gallstone disease would be broken down into modifiable and non-modifiable. In terms of the modifiable, you have obesity, rapid weight loss, diet, drugs, and biliary stasis. In terms of non-modifiable, you've got age greater than 40, female, certain ethnicities, and surgical resection of the terminal ileum because that leads to poor absorption of biliary salts, a family history of gallstone disease, cirrhosis and Crohn's disease. Anything that I missed there, James? Uh, I mean, that's that's more than I could list off the top of my head. <laughs> in, in terms of the gallbladder itself, um, the anatomy of it's actually quite interesting. So it's located on the undersurface of the liver before below segments um, four and five. And it's got like many things in the body, a number of different segments to it. So it's got the fundus, which is the little um, cap, the sort of blind ended part of the gallbladder. Um, which then tapers through the body to form the infundibulum. Uh, 
And there's often there's a little outpouching just off the infundibulum called Hartman's pouch, which is a really common place for gallstones to be stuck. Uh, and then you come into the neck of the gallbladder and the cystic duct, and then the cystic duct meets up with the common hepatic duct to form the common bile duct and then drains into the duodenum. All right, Rebecca, talk us through how we image right upper quadrant pain. All right. So actually the first go-to is ultrasound. It's your preferred first line because it's useful for the detection of gallstones. And then you have that sonographic Murphy sign. Push them with a probe. That actually confers a really high sensitivity for the presence of cholecystitis. Um, CT would be the next go-to. It's not as good as ultrasound in the detection of the actual stones, but it's very helpful in terms of complicated gallbladder disease, which we'll get into a little bit later on in the podcast. Uh, Nuke med imaging can also be helpful um, in terms of differentiating acute from chronic cholecystitis and in the context of an uncertain diagnosis where you can't, uh, you don't definitively see the stones on either CT or ultrasound. And MRCP meaning a heavily T2-weighted MRI that looks at the biliary system can be very helpful uh, in our imaging workup. And we're going to break this down today mostly into the ultrasound and CT findings. So James, how do I do this? Yeah, so the the ultrasound for the gallbladder is is optimally done with the patient fasting for uh, at least a few hours before, um, both to help the gallbladder fill and to get rid of any uh, excess bowel gas. So their pain and like a probably upset stomach is actually helping us. Amazing. <laughs> That's one way of looking at it. Uh, <laughs> so, so you can scan them uh, underneath the ribs, sort of the subcostal or through the ribs, the intercostal views. And you often have to get the patient into a number of different positions on their back. And then uh, I tend to get them into the decubitus position to see if any stones move around. Um, and, and stones in the gallbladder are these mobile, uncomplicated stones rather, these mobile echogenic foci often show posterior acoustic shadowing. People describe what's called a wall echo sign, uh, which is when you see the gallbladder wall and then a space uh, which represents the uh, bile and then just a line of gallstones. And this describes, this sign describes a a gallbladder that's packed with either one large or multiple small gallstones. And it's important to differentiate from things like um, emphysematous cholecystitis, which we'll get to later on. Really important to look at the gallbladder itself. Um, one of the first things that I look for is gallbladder distension. Uh, gallbladder wall thickening is very important in the context of acute cholecystitis, the wall edema and hyperemia, uh, as well as the sonographic Murphy sign, which Rebecca described earlier, which is basically you see the gallbladder, you're really close to the gallbladder with the ultrasound probe, and you can precisely um, put pressure on it. Um, which can be helpful because clinically, you know, you're, you're palpating in an area that's quite vague and maybe your pain's actually being caused by the ribs, for example, um, when you're palpating there. So the, the sonographic Murphy sign is really important to be specific um, to target the gallbladder. And then I look at the ducts themselves. Um, so is there extrahepatic duct dilation? Is there intrahepatic duct dilation? People talk about... Um, rough rules to use about, uh, you know, the common bile duct shouldn't be more than six millimeters. And maybe you give them one millimeter for every decade over the age of 60, or that it can maybe be 10 millimeters if the patient has had a cholecystectomy. Um, generally, I try and compare it to a previous study if that's available, because uh, sorting out duct dilation, particularly in somebody who's had a cholecystectomy before can be can be challenging. Yeah, it's super important to make sure that it's like patient or uh, patient dependent, right? Yeah, exactly. Awesome. 
So what I'm hearing is basically look at the gallbladder, look at the, the, the ductal system and look for stones. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good summary. I mean, ultrasound is more sensitive than CT in finding stones because on CT, the stones can be the same attenuation as the bile or at least very similar attenuation as the bile. So even if a scan is negative for acute cholecystitis, um, if the ultrasound shows stones and the patient has biliary colic and symptoms attributable for it, they can still um, uh, discuss the option of surgery um, with a surgeon. Right. Now, what about this entity of acalculus cholecystitis? Yeah, I find acalculus cholecystitis really challenging because <laughs> the, find, the findings uh, are nonspecific. Um, so these are, these are often ICU patients. These are patients who are incredibly sick. Either they're in the ICU with a, another serious infection or following trauma or a serious operation. And what you see is a distended gallbladder, which you can see in patients who are fasting because in the ICU, sometimes patients aren't fed. Um, so you see a distended gallbladder. You see a thickened gallbladder, which you can again see in critically ill patients, patients with liver or renal disease. So everyone in the ICU? Pretty much. And then you don't see stones as well. So I find acute col- a-, a calculeus, so no stones, cholecystitis, uh, really challenging diagnosis. And in my mind, this patient has to have a, a basically the clinical team has to tell you this patient has a new sepsis or possibly abdominal sepsis. Uh, and then I would uh, refer them to discuss the case with with an interventionalist to discuss uh, placing a cholecystostomy tube, which is an ultrasound-guided tube, into the gallbladder um, to decompress it. Um, but but yeah, acalculus cholecystitis, challenging diagnosis. Yeah, it sounds like it. Learning objectives. Describe. One, what is the imaging workup of gallstone disease? Two, what are the key ultrasound findings? And three, what are common complications of acute cholecystitis? So this leads us into our CT findings, which are often correlated with the ultrasound findings. So in terms of cholecystolithiasis, or just gallbladder stones, um, you can get variable findings on CT. Some are hyperattenuating, some are isoattenuating, just depending on the amount of calcification. Um, But interestingly enough, these degenerated gallstones can actually have nitrogen that's demarcated by the central fissures, termed the Mercedes-Benz sign. That's cool. I... um probably be the only Mercedes-Benz that I'll ever have. (laughs) I don't know about that. Uh, Cholodocolithiasis, meaning the stones in the ducts, can occur as these hyperattenuating materials within the common bile duct, but that's also a very variable presentation and sensitivity, uh, as well as variable sensitivity, uh, depending on the composition of the stone. MRCP can alleviate some of the uncertainties that we find on either CT or ultrasound. In terms of acute cholecystitis, it is very similar actually to the ultrasound findings as well with gallbladder wall thickening greater than three millimeters, pericholecystic inflammatory fat stranding, and hypo or hyper attenuating gallstones. All right, James, what about our complications? What are we on the lookout for? Yeah, so my favorite thing in radiology, and we've done a few of these before, is a tube that gets obstructed and gets big because it gets obstructed. And gallbladders are no different than the bowel or the appendix in this sense. So you've got an Stop obstruction at this. tubes. <laughs> got it. Radiology done. <laughs> it's like 50% of radiology is stuff <laughs> blocking a tube that shouldn't be blocked. So you've got a, a tube, in this case, the gallbladder neck or cystic duct that's blocked. 
And so the pressure in the gallbladder increases, and this is why you see gallbladder distension. And anytime you have a tube where the pressure inside the tube is greater than the pressure of the blood flowing towards the tube, you can end up with ischemia, and ischemia leads to necrosis. So the first complication is gangrenous cholecystitis. Gangrenous cholecystitis, you see classically on ultrasound, these membranes, which are the sloughing off of the walls. You see perhaps um, on a CT, a wall of the gallbladder that's not enhancing uh, the way it should, or possibly a defect in the wall, um, reflecting perforation. Um, and yeah, so the, the complications of this mural necrosis, perforation, and these patients are often so sick that they require stabilization of the cholecystostomy tube to relieve the the pressure um, before undergoing cholecystectomy. So taking away the obstructed tube. You're fixing the tube. Yeah, exactly. And then along the lines of gangrenous cholecystitis and the spectrum of complications is also perforation. Uh, and these are these are characterized by mural defects. Sometimes you see the, the rare gallstone outside the gallbladder, or you see what looks like an angry inflamed gallbladder, but the gallbladder is fully collapsed. And this is because the fluid and the bile has spilled out of it decompressing it and these patients are often exceedingly sicking it sort of like a bad bile peritonitis yikes and and rebecca just like the bowel for example another tube that gets blocked you can end up with emphysematous cholecystitis as well and so this is sort of like the pneumatosis of the gallbladder where you get gallbladder infection of, with gas forming organisms and you get um, either intraluminal and or intramural gas, so gas within the wall of the gallbladder itself, typically happens in patients um, with diabetes. Okay, that's actually a really good way to remember it. Just gas-forming organisms, it's just a kind of another subset of another tube. Exactly, yeah. Another complication uh, is this Maritzi syndrome, and that's something that I came across in medical school as well. And so it's extrinsic compression of the extrahepatic bile ducts by a stone present in the cystic duct or gallbladder. And the CT findings would be this diffusely thickened gallbladder and plus minus the actual presence of the stone that's causing the obstruction. This is a classic one that radiologists love to show on ERCP images where you see the indentation of the common bile duct uh, from the neck that's impacted in the um, gallbladder or cystic duct, which leads to then upstream obstruction of the cystic, oh, sorry, of the common bile duct. It's a nice, uh, it's a nice sort of exam case. Okay. But quite rare. Okay. What about the chronic complications? What are those things? Yeah. So I, chronic cholecystitis is a chronic complication of cholecystitis. Uh, again, chronic cholecystitis, I find a really hard diagnosis because um, you can have a, a gallbladder where the wall's thick, but it's not necessarily distended um, in the same way that the acutely inflamed gallbladders are. So uh, you can imagine the chronic inflammation leads to scarring in the gallbladder, and so you don't get the distension the same way that you would acutely. Um, porcelain gallbladder is, is sort of a subset of chronic cholecystitis. Um, this is the gallbladder that's calcified all the way around. Um, you, you know, historically, these patients underwent uh, cholecystectomy for their porcelain gallbladders. It's pretty controversial uh, and and really decided on a case-by-case -case basis these days. We know that chronic inflammation is the biggest risk factor for gallbladder carcinoma. Uh, so these patients should possibly at least be evaluated by a surgeon. But again, as I mentioned continuously on this podcast, I'm not a surgeon and I never claim to be. And please don't ever <laughs> let me operate on you. Rebecca, on one of our earlier podcasts, we talked about gallstone ileus. 
Yes, yes, our bowel obstruction. I'm so excited. Okay, Wrigler's triad. Once again, you will definitely be questioned on this. Uh, so, what are the three findings? Small bowel obstruction. Well, please listen to our other podcast about small bowel obstruction. Uh, you get the gallstone that's actually present in the small bowel and pneumobilia. I actually was questioned on this with a radiograph. Um, so sometimes these do come up on just a general abdominal x-ray. Associated findings would be this fistula between the gallbladder and the small bowel or colon, which is typically how the gallstone gets there. And the level of the obstruction actually most commonly occurs at the terminal ilium. Nice. And then the last complication that we'll talk about of acute cholecystitis is postoperatively the bile leak. So you can imagine there's uh, the duct that drains the uh, gallbladder, the cystic duct, that's got to get clipped off. Uh, the most common causes of bile leaks postoperatively are leaking from that little cystic duct remnant or what's the duct, what's called the duct of Lushka. And these are ducts that come down from the liver the undersurface of the liver and they sort of course by the gallbladder and then eventually drain into the extrahepatic ducts and it's really hard to localize these uh, either preoperatively on imaging or intraoperatively and so ducts of Lushka can cause um, persistent bile leaks after a cholecystectomy and the way you diagnose a bile leak uh, is you can either aspirate it if there's a, bit, a big collection you can do a, uh, put a needle in it under ultrasound guidance um, you can do a nuclear medicine scan and see if there's radio tracer uptake, um, or you can do an MRI with Primavist, which is a, a hepatobiliary contrast agent, and you actually look to see pooling of the um, biliary excreted contrast agent in the collection because postoperative collections are common. You can end up with seromas, hematomas, uh, et cetera, um, but, but bio leaks will basically continue to leak, so they are treated differently than hematomas or seromas. Right. And you should have a high clinical suspicion because bile is very um, irritating to the peritoneum and patients will be in a lot of pain. Yeah. These patients come back to hospital after their uh, yeah. polycystectomies. Learning objectives. Differential. One. What other entities should we be considering? And decision. One. What's the treatment for symptomatic gallstone disease? And two, how are radiologists involved in management? Um, yeah, so so what else do you think about when you think of um, gallbladder wall thickening? So I think about things like uh, gallbladder wall like carcinoma, even like a postprandial physiological state when the gallbladder is all compressed. Um, yeah, you basically see that wall that's collapsed down on itself and it kind of looks artificially thickened because of that, right? Yeah. Um, other things like secondary thickening from maybe liver disease or primary sclerosing cholangitis or certain infections. Oh, and gallbladder adenomyomatosis. Did I say that right, James? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Okay, awesome. <laughs> and uh, HLH as well. And then there's also another subset of differentials for gallbladder wall distension. Is that correct, James? Yeah. And, and like I mentioned earlier, you know, just by fasting, your gallbladder distends. So it can sometimes be tricky to tell the difference between a fasted gallbladder and an inflamed gallbladder, especially if there's other things going on, like generalized edema or like some of the causes of gallbladder wall thickening that you mentioned earlier. Gotcha. So basically when you're 
doing this differentially, you should think about things that can cause thickening of the walls and things that can cause the actual distension of the organ. Yeah. And other things that cause distension are things like um, TPN, for example, um, because you're you're not eating, your gallbladder is not contracting. You want to look at the thickening and the distension. And if you see both of them together in the right context, especially with the right history, the right physical exam, the right lab findings, uh, and then sometimes you do require both CT and ultrasound to suss things out. Amazing. So that leads us down to our decision. Finally, we're fixing the patient. Uh, so things is kind of a stepwise progression as per usual. You've got non-operative management, so pain control, pain, 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 um, IV fluids and antibiotics. Uh, operative management being cholecystectomy. Usually they start with laparoscopic with conversion to open in the context of challenging cases or difficult anatomy or if there's any other complications that would warrant an open procedure. And once again, I'm not a surgeon either. <laughs> um, cholecystostomy tube, as James has alluded to throughout the podcast. And so that's basically tube into a blocked or like a smaller tube into a blocked tube. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's when you when you drain the gallbladder from the outside to replace the tube that normally drains it. Great. And that can be done under ultrasound guidance. Have you seen a lot of these placed? Yeah, I find, I mean, I find that I think they're being done more and more often um, before a, a cholecystectomy that would be performed at a later date. So either for very ill patients or for complicated cases or cases where there's a few things going on, I think that this is a viable um, option once the patient's been evaluated by a surgeon. Yeah, I was going to say on during off-service, we placed actually a couple of these, uh, or at least a radiology did during when I was on GenSurge. Um and it was very helpful that we had a very, very complicated gall, perforated gallbladder case. And the imaging findings, thankfully, did not match up with his clinical presentation because it was just craziness wreaking havoc in his abdomen. But he was just sitting there going like, yeah, I don't really feel like eating. I'm just, I'm okay. It was just one of those things that it was cool to see how helpful that tube can be. Yeah, absolutely. And relieving symptoms. Wish we could, um, wish we could use them for other things. Yeah, yeah no kidding. Well, that wraps up the case for this week. Hopefully we shed some light on cholecystitis and the spectrum of gallbladder disease while you were learning in the dark. Please check out our website at learninginthedark.com for cases, show notes, and a link to our survey to provide us with feedback for future episodes. Until next time, stay happy and healthy. Bye.